Let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for how hungry and thirsty these people are for the gospel, Lord. Uh, Lord, they're, they're desiring living water and you're bringing it through these, the, these mouthpieces that you've established. So, Lord, we do pray that you would protect them as they go. Lord, that they might be faithful to your message. And we thank you for their boldness. We thank you for their willingness to go when invited. We thank you, Lord, that they, uh, they trust in you. And, and they're so prayerful and so sensitive to your spirit. We pray, that, Lord, that you continue to bear fruit through their ministries. And now, God, as we open up your word, we pray that you would change us, Lord, transform us. Let us know more about your heart and uh, what it means to be a kingdom citizen. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in 1 Kings chapter 2. And uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 2. And we'll get in with tonight's study. All right, we left off last week with the passing of King David. And he handed off the kingdom to his son Solomon. He gave his son Solomon a few uh, things. Uh, Not only did he charge him to... uh, to keep the commands of the Lord and walk in the Lord's ways, keep his statues. Uh, but he also uh, charged him with a few cleanup issues. He talked to him about Joab and that this man was a bloody man and you need to do away with him. And uh, he gave him some, some information earlier on in chapter 2. So we left off at verse 13. So that's where we'll pick up tonight. Uh, chapter 2, verse 13. Now Adonijah... The son of Haggith came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So, the, uh, so she said, uh, do you come peaceably? Now, just real pause for, for those of you that weren't with us last week. Adonijah is David's other son. He was the fourth born son. He, he decided that he was going to be king. And uh, his father hadn't said anything. So he decided, I'll just take the opportunity. So he amassed a chariot for himself, the runners to run ahead. And he called everybody together for a great feast and a sacrifice. And, and so uh, they brought this attention uh, to David. And David said, okay, Solomon, we're going to make you king just like the Lord commanded. And uh, they kind of thwarted this whole issue. So Adonijah now is, uh, he was told he could live. And uh, Solomon spared him. So now he's talking to Solomon's mother, Bathsheba. And she asked, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And, he said, and she said, say it. Then he said, you know that the kingdom was mine and all Israel had set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's for it was his from the Lord. Now I ask one petition of you, do not deny me. And she said to him, say it. Then he said, please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you that he may give me Abishag the Shumanite as a wife. So Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you, the king. Now Abishag the Shumanite was the young woman, the young beautiful woman that they searched all of Israel for to come in and basically be a nurse to King David in his old age because he couldn't keep warm. So they brought in this woman and they made him a concubine. Of course, First uh, Kings chapter 1 tells us that David did not know her, but that's who Abishag the Shumanite is. So keep that in mind uh, as we go on with this. So Bathsheba therefore went to the King, king Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. The king rose up to meet her. 
bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. The king said to her, ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. So she said, let Abishag the Shumanite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as wife. Verse 22, and King Solomon answered and said to his mother, now why do you ask Abishag the Shumanite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, for him and, and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zeruiah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, may God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who has established a house for me, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. Verse 25, so King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. So Adonijah was given this leniency. He was forgiven. If you remember Adonijah when, when uh, he doesn't become king, and he's in the middle of his party when King David uh, anoints Solomon as king. And Solomon rides on the king's donkey. He, uh, they anoint him at the, the spring of Gehon because that's where all the people were. They prayed him to the city. And everybody at King David's party or uh, Adonijah's party is kind of like, what's going on in the city? Well, they come and tell Adonijah what's going on. And Adonijah, everybody's kind of like, oh, crud. And they split. Everybody goes the other way because nobody wants to be part of a coup by accident, right? You, you know, you, if you're going to be part of a coup, you should actually intentionally, I guess we can't joke about coups right now. Anyway, so, so anyway, uh, so Adonijah uh, goes, he runs in, he grabs hold of the horns of the altar because he, he's like, no, don't, don't kill me. And I'm, I'm just going to hold on to the altar of God uh, until you hear me. Well, Solomon hears his plea forgives him and says, okay, uh, we'll, we'll let you go. But now what's, what Adonijah is doing is he's asking for his father's concubine. This is a little bit of a power move. Now, it's, it's possible he's just like, well, she's pretty. She's in the family. Let's, you know, whatever. I don't know. Some weirdness. But <laughs> nonetheless, uh, if you remember when Absalom tried to overthrow his father, one of the first things he did was take David's concubines up to the roof and be with them all on the roof. So everybody saw these concubines and Absalom going into the tent and going, okay, Absalom's clearly taking his father's concubines, his father's property. He now is the king. So when, when Solomon gets this, this news, now I wonder if Bathsheba, I can't help but wonder if Bathsheba knows fully what's going on. And when she says like, I just got a small favor for you. You know, there's a little bit of sarcasm in that. In that, I don't know. But uh, Solomon says, that's it. There's no way this guy's going to live. He's now trying to overthrow me. And we even get a sense of that when he comes to Bathsheba and says, remember the kingdom was mine. <laughs> well, no, it was actually never yours. You ne- it never belonged to you, Adonijah. Well, so... Uh, Adonijah is put to death, and that is the end of David's fourth son, Adonijah. Now, I do want to point out one thing to you. If you remember in chapter 1, there's a little commentary about Adonijah in verse 6. And it says, And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? 
and so we know that when Adonijah started trying to take on the, 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 the throne, take the throne by himself, there, there's this little commentary that tells us that David should have rebuked him, but he didn't. He never corrected him. And that was a problem. And I, I just want to say this to parents. If you're uh, trying to come up with your parenting philosophy, uh, correct your kids. Rebuke them, especially when they're young, when they're teachable, that they might develop those convictions as a young child so that when they're older, you don't have to do that. And you can go back and listen to last week's message. We talked about that a lot more. So anyway, they, it results in Adonijah's death, which is uh, sad to see. Abiathar, verse 26 of chapter 2. And to Abiathar, the priest, the king said, Go to Anahoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death, but I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest of the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. Then news came to Joab. Uh, oh, sorry, let me pause there for a minute. Uh, Abiathar basically is removed from being a priest before the Lord, just like that word was spoken to Eli at Shiloh at the very beginning of 1 Samuel. Uh, so you can go back to that. Abiathar is one of those who joined up with Adonijah and was going to offer the sacrifices to uh, cement Adonijah as king, but it wasn't ever the Lord's will. So. It's kind of like a hired priest or hired gun uh, just to do what you want, but there's really no conviction or instruction from God. So I'll tell you right now, you can have somebody who says they're a holy person, but if they're not actually working under the influence and the charge and the instruction of God, they're not a holy person. So it's because holy means to be set apart and, and it's all about being set apart to God. All right. The news came to Joab. Joab, of course, is this warrior that David said, don't let him live. For Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord, and he took hold of the horns of the altar. Everybody's taking hold of the horns of the altar. And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord, where he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. So Benaniah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. And he said, no, but I will die here. And Benaniah brought back word to the king saying, thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. Then the king said to him, do as he has said. Strike him down and bury him that you may take away from me and from my house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. And that's the key there. So the Lord will return his blood on his head because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he and killed them with the sword, Abner the son of Ner the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah. Though my father David did not know it, their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of the descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck and killed him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. So this is the end of Joab, and again, it's a little bit of house cleaning that God's doing for King Solomon. And you're going to see God sets up King Solomon for success. He, he deals with the 
possible enemies of the throne. Already Joab has made a major mistake in backing Adonijah as king. And David brings this out. But the real issue is that, that Joab was quick to shed innocent blood. And this is a principle that I think we all need to consider when we think about the word of God. When God says something is evil or for us not to do certain things and we go in that knowledge and go and do them, just because God doesn't correct you right away doesn't mean that that's not coming. Um, God is a just God. He will always do what's just. And we are to fear God in that way that, and walk in the fear of the Lord. And so to, to think that God is just never going to deal with your sin is foolishness. Rather, if you find yourself in a sin, the right thing to do is to confess it, repent of it, confess it, be forgiven, and walk with the Lord. But don't just go around thinking like, oh, I can just keep getting away with this. My sin won't find me out. God won't judge it. Because I'll tell you right now, I've been around long enough to see that God always finds out sin, and it will always get judged, and there's no point in continuing on in a rebellious way. Now, some people say, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I don't want to confess sin. I don't want to repent of sin because I don't know what people will think of me. It doesn't matter what people think of you. It matters what God thinks of you. And when God opens up and offers forgiveness, just take the licks like King David did. King David sinned. God dealt with King David. He punished King David. David took the licks. And, and he knew that this was ultimately all a part of God's love for him. So uh, Joab here is put to death now for this innocent blood that he shed. Now, you can go back and read about this innocent blood. It started in the very beginning of 2 Samuel. All right, Shammai is executed. Let's go to verse 36. Then the king sent out and called for Shammai. This is the guy who is a descendant of Saul. He's the one who, while David was being chased out of the city by Absalom, was throwing rocks and cursing David, and then David forgave him. But he's just a troublemaker. Okay, so Solomon said, build, your, uh, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain that you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. Now this is important. The king, the one who has the authority, sets the boundaries and the consequences. Here's the boundary, Shammai. I'm going to let you live. You can be anywhere in Jerusalem. But you leave Jerusalem and you're dead. That's, that's the consequence for doing this. So Shammai said to the king, the saying is good. As my lord the king has said to your servant, will do. So Shammai dwelt in Jerusalem for many days. Now it happened at the end of three years, there it is, the end of three years, that two slaves of Shammai ran away to Achish, the son of Makkah, king of Gath. And they told Shammai, saying, look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shammai rose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shammai went and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shammai had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Then the king sent and called for Shammai and said to him, did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, No for certain, that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die? And you said to me, The word I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? The king said, Moreover to Shammai, You know, as your heart acknowledges, all the wickedness that you did 
to my father David, therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. All I'm saying is uh, Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, has been a busy guy with his sword in, in the very opening years of the kingdom of Solomon. Uh, God, uh, Solomon the king laid down the rule. The law was clearly communicated and the consequence as well was clearly communicated. There is no way getting around this that he is guilty. I, I can't help but think about sometimes the way we approach God's law. Sometimes we approach God's law like it's a suggestion or maybe God doesn't really mean that or uh, it's not really fair to for God to judge us based on some broken law because everybody else is doing it. And I, and I want to be clear that when the lawgiver has the authority and when he's clearly laid down the law and he's clearly laid down the consequence, it is completely justifiable, not only justifiable for the lawgiver to, to carry out the punishment, but for the lawgiver to not carry out the punishment would make that lawgiver not just. He wouldn't be doing what he said he was going to do. He wouldn't be fulfilling. Now, it'd be one thing if Solomon said, all right, here's the deal. If you leave Jerusalem, I'm going to be really upset and we're going to cut off your hand. But then uh, Shammai went out there and uh, Solomon killed him. Well, that, you know, that's, that's a problem. But here Solomon was very clear. God is very clear with us about his laws. And we know that the Bible says that the soul that sins shall die. There's a price and a cost of sin. And that that price and cost of sin or rebellion, trespassing against God, is death. Now, praise God that the Lord uh, had planned a way in which he could justify you and me through Jesus Christ and still remain just by offering his own son. There's actually a legal uh, uh, standing that happened by Jesus dying for us in a substitutionary matter. Uh, we, we're told that our sins were imputed onto Christ and his righteousness is imputed onto us. It's this legal trade. And so by doing this, God has not only been, been is not only able to forgive, but he's also able to be just in justifying you and I. But it wasn't costless. There was a, a great cost to that justification. So when we see, when we read through the Old Testament and we see these harsh executions and harsh laws uh, that are done, we have to recognize that these things are not so harsh. They're actually very just. And what the real problem is, is us, when we look at these things and go, man, that, that was kind of mean. That wasn't fair. No, it was absolutely fair. It's just we don't like it when consequences are carried out. None of us do. We, none of us like consequences. Uh, but consequences are the result of a just and fair king and, of course, a just and fair God. Um, all right, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Solomon made a treaty with the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord. And uh, while all around Jerusalem, meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. 
And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Let me explain what's going on here. First, Solomon chooses to marry this Egyptian woman. Now, we, I, don't, I don't know necessarily that this is in chronological order. It's very possible that, that we're, we're given this fact about Solomon early on. It could be in chronological order, but I, I'm not sure. Uh, and here's why I'm saying this. This is the first marriage that we're told about about Solomon, and it's with uh, this daughter of the Pharaoh, this Egyptian woman. But he must have had an earlier marriage. And the reason why is 1 Kings 14, 21 tells us that his son Rehoboam came to the throne when he was 41 years old. So 1 Kings eleven forty two tells us that Solomon reigned 40 years. So Rehoboam must have been born to Solomon before Solomon actually came to the throne. And so Solomon more than likely had uh, at least one wife before this Egyptian woman, uh, his marriage to this Egyptian woman. Well, it, it tells us that this, uh, this, uh, Egyptian, this woman was an Egyptian, and there's a problem also with that. Now, it wasn't that a Jew couldn't marry a foreigner. The issue was that Jews weren't to marry foreigners and worship their gods. So for a Jew to... Uh, uh, go and marry a foreigner and start worshiping their gods. That was the problem. Now, if a foreigner became a Jew, that, that would be okay. Nehemiah actually corrects the people in his day about this very issue. In Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 23, you can turn there if you want, or you, we'll, we'll throw it up here on the screen. But it says, In those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Now, Nehemiah is not just being a mean guy who's bullying around, pulling people's hair. Uh, the, the issue here is the corruption of Israel. That's what the issue is. Nehemiah is trying to rebuild the walls of Israel. He's trying to rebuild Israel from, uh, as they're coming back the, uh, from exile out of Babylon. And he's got this problem of this intermarrying going on. And, and they're not speaking. When it talks about speaking the language, we're also to assume that we're talking about their gods. So as Nehemiah is saying, what, uh, you know, you can almost imagine, oy vey, you know, and we just got back from exile because you guys weren't doing what God did, said to do. And now you're going, you're intermarrying, you're doing all these problems. So that would really drive this whole idea of the stick and pulling of hair. You know, I, I just, <laughs> I love that detail in the Bible, the pulling of hair. Anyway, so uh, verse 26 says, did so not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? So we're told that Solomon sinned by bringing in these foreign women. Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved by, of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him, even him, to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? So Nehemiah is challenging him in this fact that, listen, of all the kings, Solomon was so loved, he was loved by God, and God gave him everything 
But Solomon sinned in this way. So why should we not be upset when we hear that you're doing this very same sin? And Nehemiah confronts his people about this. And we're going to see that for Solomon, this becomes a major problem in his life. For, uh, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, we read that Solomon had uh, uh, that Solomon went after other gods. It says that, uh, that his wife turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. It's really sad commentary um, towards the end of Solomon's life. Uh, but uh, that's, there's going to be a problem brewing, and it starts with this marriage to an Egyptian woman. Well, Solomon sacrificed in the high places in those days because there was no house for the Lord. Uh, this was a practice of the Canaanites. They would, uh, Canaanites, the practice of the peoples of the land, they would go set up uh, uh, altars on high mountains because the higher you get, the closer you are to God, right? No. Uh, you know, it's funny that people still today think that. Pagans still think that. You go into Buddhist areas and you're going to find a monastery at the highest top of the mountain. Uh, Hindus, uh, the world around, they love to get up high uh, because they have this, there's something in, in them that believes that the higher we get, the closer to heaven, the more spiritual we are. Well, no, that's not the case. The more you walk with God, the more spiritual you become, but, but not the higher you go. Well, Solomon, uh, it says that he, he practiced sacrifice in these areas. Now, he's doing this because he wants to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, and God, God allows it for the time. Verse 4, now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a 1,000 burnt offerings on that altar at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? Now, a uh, thousand burnt offerings. This is, these are like peace offerings, fellowship offerings. This is not uh, just a waste of a thousand animals. This is like a giant barbecue. That's what's happening. In fact, Chronicles tells us that Solomon brought with him all of the uh, leaders of his kingdom. So it, there was a lot of people up there, and he makes this sacrifice for peace with the Lord and, and fellowship. Uh, but God appears to him by night and asks, what shall I give you? I wonder, if, if, if God appeared to you in a dream and said, what shall I give you, what would you ask? Have you ever thought about that? What would you ask? If the Lord said, what, 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 what should I give you? What would be on your heart? I mean, this is a serious question. You know, have you thought about that ever? If, if God really asks you this, what, what would that, that answer be? It's worth thinking about, because especially as we see what Solomon's answer is. Verse 6, six and Solomon said, You've shown uh, great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart. With you, you have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now I'm going to pause there for a minute. Notice that what Solomon recognizes. You've shown great mercy to your servant David, my father. Solomon was passed on this legacy of how God treated David with great mercy. You remember David, uh, towards the end of his life, wrote that God had delivered him from all the snares. That, that God had shown him. So 2 Samuel 7, God just establishes this incredible covenant with David saying when David wanted to build the house of God, the worship center, the, the, the temple in Israel, uh, God said, you can't do it. But tell you what, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to establish your throne forever, David. David saw God as this 
amazing, incredible, loving, merciful God. In fact, David, when you read the Psalms, David had this understanding. He even wrote, God, sacrifice and burnt offerings I would bring, but you don't want that. You, what you want is a contrite heart, God. You want a repentant heart. And David understood the heart of God. And so as Solomon's recognizing that, that he walked before you in, look at truth and righteousness and an uprightness of heart with you. Uh, that's how David's legacy. Now, now we want to go back all the way and say, well, David, God, David slept with Bathsheba. He murdered Uriah. He, you know, we want to start listing out the, the problems and the failings of David. But see, the difference was is David dealt with that sin with the, actually, I should say, God dealt with David's sin. And, and it's not remembered like that. David's remembered as the great psalmist of Israel, an incredible man of God, a man after God's own heart. And, and so as the, the scriptures remember it, that he walked before you in truth and righteousness, it doesn't mean that David couldn't screw up, but that David repented and turned back to the Lord. David walked before God in truth. So Solomon says, now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge the great people of yours? This is actually a really beautiful prayer that Solomon asked for. He he starts out by saying that I'm, I'm just a child. I don't even understand what to do next. I don't understand going out and coming in. What is that? I, I don't know what I'm doing when I even go out before all these people. Here now I am king, and, and I've got to make judgments about people. I've got to care for your people. And, and I love the fact that he recognizes that these are, these are your people, God. And, and I'm, I'm charged with judging them, taking care of them, protecting them. And I don't know what I'm doing. So if there's one thing I could ask for is that you would give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. That's a, that's a beautiful prayer. You know, in the New Testament, we can kind of see this same instruction wrapped up by Jesus. When Jesus commands us not to to, to seek after the things of this world, money, power, all these things that all of men do, but to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, Matthew 7, 7. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Set your hearts about seeking God. Don't set your hearts on seeking things. And first John 5, sorry, in John 15, 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Now, there's a caveat there if you're catching that. It's an if-then statement. If my word abides in you and you abide in me, then you're going to ask, and you're going you're to receive it because you're going to be in tune with God's his will. 1 John 5, 14, uh, John writes, Now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Wow. It's a, it's a beautiful summation that you and I actually truly are be, uh, given that same ability by God. What do you want? 
God, what do you want? I'm listening. I'm your God. What do you want? I, what a wasted idea to not just respond, to not, not come back to God with anything. Sometimes maybe we need to sit, maybe we need to sit in prayer, maybe we need to confess sin in our lives, rebellionist, whatever, just so we can sit and hear the word and the will of God and then ask those things. I'll tell you, some of the most amazing times in my life is when understanding the will of God is as natural as breathing air. I love those times. There, there, there are times when I'll, I'll look back on it, when I've made a decision, when I've chosen to do something, and I was like, no, no, this is God's will, we're going to do this, and I've made a decision, and it happens, and I'm like, what was I thinking that this was the right way to go? And it, it was just totally the Lord's leading, because I was listening, I was waiting on the Lord, and it was just as confident as breathing. Later on, though, I have time to take pause and question, what was I thinking? But I look back at it and go, God, you're amazing the way you answer our prayers. Just an illustration about this, uh, and it's a simple illustration, and I like it because it, it's not an illustration from the mission field. It's just an everyday practical illustration of this. Uh, Emily Yost called me on Friday night, 4 o'clock. Her husband, Marty, is moving to, uh, their, their whole family's moving to Idaho. We're, we are helping them plant the church, Calvary Chapel Heights, Mountain Heights Calvary Chapel in Meridian, Idaho. And we're a part of that church plant, and they've been here worshiping with us on, in the morning services, and we've been praying for them as the weeks go on. Well, she called me Friday night, 4 p.m., crying and saying, Dave, we've been scammed by the moving company. I, I don't know what to do. We've already paid uh, X amount of dollars, and they now want more than double or almost double of what they originally quoted us, and they won't move anything. And... So I, I, I was almost shocked at the call, and I said, well, uh, what, what, did Marty say anything? What, what do you need? And she's like, Marty's at work. He can't answer his phone. He has no idea. Like, he can't really communicate with me. And I said, okay, well, uh, what about us moving your stuff for you? How can we do that? Well, I, I'm calling around. It is possible that I could get some Pinsky trucks. And I said, just get the trucks. And she said, but I don't know who will drive them. So don't worry. God will provide. We'll find drivers. Well, how are we going to pack him? Don't worry. God's going to do this. And, and I started speaking to her these words with great assurance that, no, God's got this covered. Don't worry about it. It's absolutely go do it. Book the trucks. Get them in the morning. We'll, we'll let God sort out the details. So we, we pray. We hang up the phone. And, and we pray like, Lord, th- this is yours. It's your problem. We're giving it before you. You deal with it, God. We need you. And uh, amazingly, we have three drivers for the trucks to go to Idaho. Myself, Eric, and Mike DeLotter are leaving. I mean, but we had, I mean, we had multiple people that say, hey, I'm willing to drive if you need me. You know, obviously, I'd prefer not to, but I'm totally willing to go. We had, uh, and we're leaving tomorrow morning at 4 a.m. We had a whole crew of people show up at her house yesterday. Here's some pictures real fast. And because one of the problems was I, it's VBS week. Everybody's exhausted. Uh, go to the next picture. That's her daughter. Yeah, there's, oh, there's Felicia. Thank you, Felicia. Uh, not that you do that. Look, at we got a whole crew. All three trucks got loaded yesterday. They're all ready. Because the big thing was like, how are we going to have them ready to go at 4 a.m. Monday morning? Because we got to get to Idaho in time to turn them back in and all these things. Everything. Fall. Marty called me up Friday night uh, when Pastor Arthur was here. 
And he was like, Dave, I don't even know how to thank you. And I was like, well, don't because I didn't do a thing. <laughs> this is God. <laughs> it's all God. Yeah. And, and we get the privilege and the pleasure to watch just God come to our need, come to our rescue when we abide in him. When we seek his will, God does the work. Well, we've actually ran out of time to finish this chapter. So uh, let me just write, we'll just do this last paragraph here. And so, uh, so verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord and Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall anyone, any like you arise after you. And have I also, and have I also, and I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days." So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Now there is a conditional promise there. If you walk in my ways and keep my statutes, then I will lengthen your days. But with that, God said, you know, because you've asked this, Solomon, I'm not just going to give you that wisdom and that understanding. I'm also going to give you all these other things with it. I'm going to give you riches so that people are going to look at you and they're going to marvel about your God. We're going to see there becomes a problem, but Solomon sought first the knowledge, the wisdom of God, the kingdom of God, and what he didn't ask for is his own wealth, power, uh, conquering, those sorts of things. And, and this really goes completely against this prosperity doctrine. We don't do things for God because we want something in return. We do things because we want to worship God. We're a part of his kingdom and we want to honor him. Sometimes, just the result is God's favor in our lives. It's just this unmerited favor. He, he just gives things to his children because he's a loving God. It's, it's an amazing, amazing uh, relationship we have with God. All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this night, and, uh, and we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, now that you'd uh, just bless us as we consider and chew on and uh, meditate on your word. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for how you established Solomon, how you gave him this wonderful promise of wisdom and, and knowledge and understanding. And Lord, uh, as we consider that question, what would we ask? Lord, uh, I, I think the answer is simple, that we may glorify you. That's what we want. We want to glorify you and be faithful to your calling. So Lord, now we, we confess any sin that we have that we've been toying around with, any rebellious attitude in our hearts. We confess that now, Lord. Forgive us. Help us to walk with you and before you all of our days. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.